0: welcome to Emmanuel. Hopefully you guys are having a good day. You feeling all right? I am so glad to hear that. I'm so glad to be with you today. My name's Cody, for those of you that are new here, I'm the campus pastor here at the Emmanuel Church Greenwood campus. And it is a, a, an honor and a privilege to be speaking with you. It's a, it's a humbling thing every time I get to do this. So I'm, I'm just thankful to be with you guys. I Also wanna give a special shout out to anyone who might be joining us at any of our multi sites, micro sites and our online campus, we love you guys. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm also excited because I get to kick off a brand new series called My Big Fat Mouth. And when I heard that this was gonna be the topic, I thought this could be kind of cool, this would be kind of fun. And the main theme we wanna talk about over the entirety of this series is this, our words create the quality of our life and the lives around us. And the verse that we want to be at the forefront of your thoughts throughout the entire series is Proverbs 18:21. So it might hurt a little bit. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. That one can kind of sting. How many of you have gotten in trouble because of your mouth before? Maybe it's run a little bit. Yeah, I get that. I understand. I get it. I get it. We'll talk about that. We'll work through it together. I understand. When we posted the graphic for the new series, the Big Fat Mouth graphic, I went online, I checked out some of our social media accounts just to see what people were saying. And one woman said, ooh, this, one's, this one could hurt a little bit. And then a gentleman came up to me last night. He was like, hey, really appreciate the talk. My toes hurt. Thanks for stepping all over them during the message. I was like, sorry, man. Apologize about that. But just to let you know, it's gonna, it might be a little hard for some of you, but as I said before, it's all good. We're going to work through it together. I've got some things i got to work on myself, as I'll talk to you about in a minute. But your tongue does create life or death. You can either use your mouth to build people up, to tear them down, to encourage people or discourage people, or to use your influence for Christ or to squander it. And this week, I have the privilege of talking to you about this. We're going to talk about what it looks like when we complain do we have any complainers with us today? Any complainers online, multi-sites, micro-sites, maybe a little bit? I got a little proud when I was putting together this talk because I was thinking, you know I, I'm a pretty laid back guy. You know, I don't get too riled up about things. I'm pretty easy going. It might be pretty hard for me to come up with, with things that I complain about. And then I talked to my wife. <laughs> and it was informative and it was great. I'm so glad she was there to help me because I was talking to her and I was like, you know, what do you think I complain about? Can you think of anything? She's like, oh yeah, absolutely. You complain about this. You could definitely talk about this. You absolutely have to bring that up. In my head, I'm thinking, I can't get you to mention one restaurant for date night and you're ripping off all these different things I complain about. Like you've just found your voice. How great, how enlightening for me. (sighs) So thankful for my wife. But yes, there are things that I complain about and I, there are so many different things that I discovered that I have a problem with. I'll, I'll mention a few today. I'm not gonna talk about appropriate gym etiquette and people not putting their weights back on the rack after they get done with them because I could talk about that for an hour and I'd get real upset. I might flip this table if I keep talking about it. So I'm not gonna go there, but I will bring up my wife as the first example because she actually gave me this idea. I love my wife, she is beautiful, she's amazing, she's brilliant, she is the wind beneath my wings, the light of my life, but this woman treats the entire house like her shoe closet. It's unbelievable. She gets out of the car, she gets in the house and she's kicking off her shoes like she's trying to get scuba flippers off of her feet. There's shoes everywhere, everywhere. I can't explain this enough. I'm losing it right now, I gotta gotta stay composed. She will put the shoes in the living room. She'll put the shoes in the kitchen. She'll put the shoes on the stools in the kitchen. She will put the shoes in the lampshades. No place is safe from the shoes. She might have shoes at your house right now. <laughs> she has put shoes on the top step of the staircase going downstairs. And I will tell you that if your heel catches one of her high heels, one of your feet's gonna stay planted. The other foot's gonna shoot forward. And it's, all, it's very likely that you will pull every muscle between your knees and your hips. I'm not saying that from personal experience. I am 100% saying that from personal experience. (laughs) The other thing I complain about among many things, and this might sound kind of weird to some of you, um, I'm assuming some of you are, most of you I would hope are familiar with Chipotle, yes? Chipotle, it's a burrito place just like your Qdobas, it's like your Moe's, it's like La Bamba. May you rest in peace, La Bamba. But Chipotle has been my favorite. A lot of people get Starbucks gift cards at Christmas, I get Chipotle cards, I love it so much. And what I wanna talk about today is the unequal guacamole distribution at Chipotle. It's a problem facing this country. It's a very serious threat and I think we need to discuss it. And my problem with it is this. So you go through the line, you get to the point where you get to the guacamole and they pull it out of the the guacamole trough with the spoon. And a lot of times they'll just slop it on your burrito bowl. I'm a burrito bowl guy. I've been converted from the burrito. So they slop the guacamole on there. There's a big mountain of life giving avocado guacamole. It's delicious. And then you eat it like a wild animal because it's amazing and you're hungry. That's how it should happen. Doesn't happen like that all the time. Sometimes what happens is what I call the double tap tank tank. And the double tap tank tank is this. So you go through the line, get your toppings, get everything together. And they lift the guacamole out of the trough. They show it to you what your guacamole could be, what it should be. And then they will lower it back towards the trough. And then you hear this sound, tank tank with the spoon. And when they go tank tank, Half of the guacamole slides off of the spoon and then you are left with this insignificant, pithy little strip of guacamole that they drop right in the middle of your burrito bowl. It grabs the corn salsa, drags it to the edge and it completely jacks up the topping distribution of your burrito bowl, thus ruining your meal if you are me. I shouldn't be giving this talk, I should be receiving it. So all that to say is my blood pressure comes down. All that to say that I've got this problem as well. It's not just you, we all do it. This is something we've been doing for a long time, no matter the developmental level, no matter the age level, we all complain. Think about when you were kids, think about when we were kids, we complained about going to bed too early. I don't want to go to bed right now. I didn't get to watch enough of this show. You didn't let me finish my video game. I'm on the phone with this person. Why do I have to go to bed right now? We complained about having to put our stuff away. Mom, why are you making me do this? I'm just gonna get it out in an hour. I know it looks like a disaster. It's all good, I'll pick it up in a month. Why are you making me put all this stuff away? We complained when we were teenagers. Some of you did. I did a lot when I was a teenager. We complained about our teachers, especially that first day of class when we would get the schedule and you'd see who you'd have. You'd be like, algebra, Dad, gone it. So you'd have to go to the counseling office. You have to say, hey, look, I know this teacher, we're not going to get along. We're not going to mesh very well. So what I need you to do, please, could you just rearrange my entire schedule? I'm sure it will only affect me. It won't affect anybody else. So if you could just arrange this, put me in the class with all my buddies and the girl that I'm kind of digging right now, I would really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> and then the counselor would not do it because you're not the center of the universe. And you'd complain, you would throw up your hands, you would get mad at your friends. I'd be like, man, why can't they just change this for me? You complain about the homework, the sheer volume of homework, the amount of homework, how it always seems to fall in the one three week span of the calendar at the end of each semester. Like you've got final presentations, final projects, group work, extra credit, the final exams you got to study for. And if you're like me, an expert procrastinator, you are not in a good spot at the end of the semester. So I complained about that a lot. And then we get to adulthood. I'm so excited to talk about this. We get to adulthood and we complain about so many things. We do complain about traffic and at this church, For whatever reason, we complain about the roundabout a lot. I'm gonna give us a little bit of grace because as Southsiders, this is a relatively new phenomenon for us. We're gonna get better. I think we're gonna improve. I think we will improve on how to use the roundabout. What I wanna complain about with traffic is people not using their turn signal. I'd like to complain about that a little bit. I don't know if any of you are feeling me on this. I do have one question for those of you who drive and don't use the turn signal. My question is simply this, what's wrong with you? (laughs) What is your problem? Why don't you use this? It's a three inch decision. You're 10 or two, move your hand three inches, up, down, left, right, save a life. Use the turn signal, please. We complain about the weather. And if you live in Indiana, this is your safe haven because people complain about the weather here 52 weeks a year. It's the perfect place for you if you love to complain because it's a socially accepted thing to complain about the weather in this state. Because when it's, comp- when it's cold, we complain, we want it to be hot. And then when it's hot, it's too humid. And then when it's too humid, you want it to be a little bit cooler. And then when it's a little bit cooler, you get a sinus infection. You get irritated. You move to Florida and you think, oh, I miss the seasons. (laughs) And then we get to church. Oh, we complain about church a little bit, just a little bit. And I know that we complain about church because when I started here, I was the connections director and all of those connection cards and everything used to come to me, including all of the complaints. We complain about, about a lot of different things. I didn't know people complained about church until I started working at church. We complain about the haze. We don't understand the haze. It's thick, it's misty, it's mysterious. We don't understand its physical properties. Why is it here? We don't understand the haze. We don't understand the lights. They're pink, they're purple. They're constantly moving. Why are they constantly moving? We don't understand the music. It's too loud, it's too quiet, it's too contemporary. Why are the worship leaders wearing hats? And then we complain about the iced coffee or the fact that we don't have it. We have hot coffee year round, 52 weeks a year. We've got seasonal creamers, any type of sweetener that you want, but we don't have iced coffee, so we will complain about that. I say all of this to let you know that you are not alone. Everybody complains, we all complain. And this is not a new social thing. We've been doing this since the beginning of time. Think about Exodus, the story of Exodus, the Israelites being freed from Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells Moses, I am sick of the plagues. I'm tired of it. Take your people, get out. Have a great day. So the people leave, all 600,000 of them. Over half a million people left Egypt at the same time. How irritated and how grumbly do you get when you leave a concert? Think about how irritated this group of people would be. Over half a million people leaving in the same direction at the same time with the animals and the goats and the donkeys and the stench and the sand and the heat. A lot of grumbling, a lot of complaining, a lot of reasons to complain in that moment. And to add to it, God decides, you know what? I don't want you to take the straight line to the promised land. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to go through Philistine territory because you might get a little spooked. You might get engaged in a battle and then that might scare you. You might turn around and go back to Egypt. So I don't want you to do that. Instead, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to redirect 600,000 people and I want you to have them go through the wilderness towards the Red Sea on the way to the promised land. I'll see you there. Thanks, Moses. I appreciate that. How irritated do you get when you're on a family trip, for example, and a road's closing, you gotta do a change in direction. Anybody get irritated about that? A little bit? I do. And then icing on top of the cake. Pharaoh changes his mind, Realizes, you know what? I don't want all of these Israelites to be free. I would like them back. So I'm going to load up 600 of the best chariots money can buy in Egypt. And then I'm going to fill them with the best soldiers and charioteers I have. I'm gonna give them whips, bows, arrows, spears. And then I'm gonna get all of the other chariots that I can find in Egypt. And we're going to ride these people down. And if they don't wanna come back, well, I guess they'll just die in the wilderness today. It was at this point that the Israelites flipped their collective baskets. They'd had it, they were over it completely all the way over this situation. And that's when the complaining truly amped up. And I'm gonna read you this passage from Exodus. And when I read this, I hear three things. I hear a lot of anger, I hear a lot of panic, but the thing I probably hear the most is sarcasm. Let's check this out. So the Israelites go to God first, they cry out to God, and then they go to Moses and they say, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Do you hear the sarcasm there? A lot of sarcasm. What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Here's the I told you so part. Didn't we tell you that this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It is better to be a slave in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. That last line is just soaked, dripping with sarcasm. So much sarcasm. Because in that moment, it didn't matter that they were free. It didn't matter that they were no longer slaves. It didn't matter that they were on their way to the promised land. None of that mattered. The only thing that mattered was we're complaining. We're irritated. This is not the way that we want to do things. And this gets us to the question of of why we complain. Why do we complain as human beings? There's been a lot of research done, a lot of studies done psychologically, scientifically, scientifically. Psychology Today put out a study and they they did an investigation on why people complain. They came up with a few reasons. We'll go through some of them right now. One is that it relieves stress. Complaining relieves stress. This idea of getting things off your chest. Man, I really gotta get this off my chest. You wanna go to coffee? I gotta get this off my chest. Can, Can you come listen to me for a little bit? The only problem about this idea is that when you're getting things off of your chest, more often than not, you're not giving it to somebody who is equipped to receive it. So most of the time you're not taking it to a counselor. You're not taking it to a therapist, you're taking it to your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your friend, your buddy, son or daughter. And so you load up your dump truck with all your stuff, with all your trash, all your junk. Instead of taking it to the dump site where it can be disposed of in an efficient, clean manner, you're taking it to your friend's house and dumping it on the front lawn and saying, thanks for the coffee, and you drive away. They're not equipped to know what to do with it. Now you've just got all their junk on their front lawn. They don't know how to deal with it. Relieve stress. Second point, we can't solve a problem. Can't solve a problem. It doesn't matter when we get the present for our kids at Christmas and it's our turn to put them away. It doesn't matter that we don't know how to do it. It doesn't matter that we're not very handy. When we get the eight cube dresser thing from Ikea, it doesn't matter that all they send you is a hey, good luck in Swedish and an Allen wrench. That doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is I'm not equipped to put this thing together. So I'm gonna get frustrated. I'm gonna grouse about it. I'm gonna complain because I don't know how to solve this problem. I don't know how to do it. We complain because we are depressed and because we are sad and we don't know what to do with our feelings. We have no idea what to do with them. We have no idea where to take these feelings in a healthy way, so we complain. We don't go to the counselor. We don't think it's okay to go talk to somebody, so we just complain to our neighbor, our friend, our buddy. We are trained to do this. We're trained to complain. I'm sure some of you go to the family gatherings, maybe it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, you've all got that one relative where you know if you ask them that question, how you doing? It's 45 minutes and it's not a pleasant 45 because they're going to tell you about every single bad thing that's going on in their lives. It's just the way it's going to go down and you know it's going to happen. And for some of you, maybe you've seen mom do it. You've seen dad do it. They're never happy about anything. And so now you think, oh man, that, that's, that's got to be the way to act. Mom and dad are doing it. With young athletes nowadays, kids in grade school, middle school, high school, all they see in professional sports is athletes complain about every single call, and they lose their minds. So now they think it's okay to complain and lose their minds during a football game, during a baseball game. We're trained to do it. We complain because we want attention. Complain is a great way to get attention, especially if you use social media. If the Olympics are where the elite athletes go to compete, I am convinced that social media is where the elite, com- the elite complainers go to compete. Because it's always a competition, especially when you're complaining online, because you are always having the worst day. I always had the worst day at work. You can't possibly understand how bad my day was or how bad my job is. And people that complain online use the perfect filter for the photo. They can write whatever they wanna write. They can give you content that you can subscribe to every single day so that you can know exactly what they're gonna complain about. And every time people like it, every time they share it, they repost it, they retweet it, it's validation for them. Oh, my complaints are valid. I should continue to do this. It's a way to get attention. Final point, and this is probably the biggest thing is that we don't get our way. We don't get our way. It's not how we would prefer things to go down. This isn't the way I would orchestrate the event. This isn't the way I would direct the church service. This isn't the way I would promote this person within the company. It's not our way. We didn't think of it. We didn't own it. So we're going to complain about it a little bit. But why are we talking about this idea at church? What does this collectively have to do with any of us in regards to our spiritual life, spiritual development, is this really hurting us or are we just complaining it goes out into the world and nothing really happens? The question we need to ask is, how does complaining affect the quality of our life? And does it at all? It most certainly does. In ways that I had no, I, I didn't understand. I had no idea that complaining could do these things to you. In different scientific studies, they found that complaining, excessive complaining, one of the results is people just don't wanna be around you because you have a proverbial black cloud that follows you every single day and you are actually bringing people down. You're bringing down their happiness. You're bringing down their self-esteem because everything is negative to you. Speaking of negativity, negativity breeds negativity. This is probably no more evident than if you look at an athletic team or a business culture, an office culture. Nothing will kill the culture you are trying to create and that you are trying to instill worse or nothing will kill it more quickly than complaining. You can't stop it because you have the people at the office that'll kind of get tucked away in their individual offices. They'll pull pull the door shut, have those kind of whispered conversations. Did you hear about what the boss did? Did you hear about that person that got the promotion? Did you hear about the raise that they got? Did you hear about what we're going to do in this meeting? And then you've got the athletic teams. I can't believe that she got to start over me. I can't believe I got cut. This is ridiculous. What is this coach thinking? I can't believe that I'm not getting to be the person who's taking them out in the sectional game. It will kill your culture. There's no restriction on it. You are dissatisfied with life all the time. Nothing is ever good enough for you. You find... The emptiness, you find the anger, you find the hostility in every single situation. It doesn't matter if you're at Disney World with the kids, everything's great, everything's going wonderful. You'll pick the one negative thing about dinner and you will let it ruin the entire week because you are constantly dissatisfied with life. And it starts to manifest itself physically, shoulders hunch over, you lose enthusiasm, nothing's ever good enough. And there are some pretty serious physical effects to excessive complaining. This one was probably more shocking to me. You've got some space in your notes. You might want to write this part down, especially if you're thinking, well, this isn't really affecting me so far. This might. Physical effects of excessive complaining. It triggers your body's fight or flight response, which releases more cortisol into your system. More cortisol in your system results in a weakened immune system. Didn't know if you knew that. So your body is now unable to fight off the things it's designed to fight off all because of your excessive complaining. And then excessive complaining produces so much cortisol that you are now at a greater risk for high cholesterol, diabetes, obesity, and heart disease. All because you can't stop flipping your basket about the Frappuccino at Starbucks. It has very serious physical effects. But the thing that hit me the most, and the thing that the thing that I couldn't get out of my head is that it is decreasing your influence for Jesus Christ. You are losing influence every single time you complain. Because if you think about it, we talk about the abundant life all the time here. John 10, 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We say that all the time here. It's something that we believe in a lot. When you complain all the time, people don't see the abundance of anything. Especially people who don't know Jesus, your friends that you're trying to relentlessly pursue to come to church so that they can hear about the loving story of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. They don't want to hear that because all they hear is that you're unhappy. They hear the complaining. They hear the moping. They hear the groaning. The only thing they see that you have in abundance is misery. And they don't want that abundant life because they've got misery of their own without Jesus. So they're not interested anymore. You are sacrificing your influence. You are, are giving ammo to the greatest enemy that we have. You are doing the devil's job for him when you complain and you sacrifice that influence. Do not do that. And the good news and the encouraging thing for every single one of us here today is that we don't have to be stuck here. We don't have to be complacent with this idea that I just complain, it's just what I do. It's just who I am, it's what my family's done, so I'm gonna do it, not a big deal. We can get better. We can all get better. We can keep that influence for Christ. We absolutely don't have to sacrifice that. Next question that we need to ask, excuse me. I just said, excuse me, do a table. (laughs) If I apologize to it, I'm gonna walk off stage. The question we need to ask is, how do we stop complaining? How do we stop this? The first thing that we need to do is that we need to realize every single one of us, including me, especially when I go to Chipotle, it's not about me. It's not about me. The sun does not rise and set on the beautiful wonder that is me. If I have a bad day, Jupiter does not get thrown out of orbit. It is not about me. It's not about my life. There is something greater at stake. There is a greater purpose for every single moment, every single interaction I have. Check this out. My old self, my old complaining nature has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That last part, he gave himself for me. That is the perspective I've got to have. That's the perspective we have to have. Because in those moments when we want to flip out, we want to complain we need to have that perspective in this moment. It's not about me. It's not about glorifying myself. It's not about getting attention. It is about glorifying Jesus Christ. How can I glorify Jesus Christ with this situation? Is there something greater at play? And the answer is absolutely. Second thing we can do is you can, you can do something. All of us, we can do something. There are going to be so many situations that you actually can, you can help control the outcome. You don't like the way things are going at work? Offer to help. You don't like the way things are going on your athletic team, ask the coach how to get better. You don't like how your grades are going, you wanna complain about the assignment, ask how you can improve, ask if you can work with somebody to get better at it. And if you wanna know what God says about this, we're gonna go back to Exodus in just a second. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But first I wanna let you know that in Psalms, there are parts where where we are told to cry out to God with our pain and with our suffering and with our anguish. And this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the complaining, the grumbling, the grousing over these little insignificant things that are not gonna matter in a year, a month, a week. In Exodus, the Israelites, they go to Moses with their complaints, right? We've talked about that. So Moses runs it up the chain and he goes directly to God. This is what they're saying to me. What do I do? This is God's response. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Tell the people to get moving. Do something. Because God in this situation knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows exactly what he's going to do at the Red Sea. I know exactly how I'm going to use my people. I know exactly how I'm going to use your irritation. I know exactly how I'm going to use Pharaoh. I'm going to harden his heart. He is going to chase you down. And through all of this, I know exactly how I'm going to use the situation. So what I don't need from you right now is the back and forth. I don't need that because I know how this works out. What I need from you right now is a little bit of trust. I need you to break camp and I need you to move forward. Can we do that? And they go, we can do something. Jim Rohn says this. If you don't like how things are, change it. You are not a tree. You are not rooted into every situation that you are engaged in. You can do something about it, sometimes. Now, there are times when you can't do anything about it, and then we need to go to point three, which means you need to change the way that you think about it. And we all have the power to do this. I do, you do, all of us. We can all change our perception, keeping that Christ-focused perspective. Think about Paul. Philippians 1.14, Paul probably didn't want to be in prison, probably not the place where he felt he could have the greatest influence at this particular time in his life. But he found himself in prison for sharing the good news. But Paul changed his perspective on the situation and the result was pretty fantastic. Paul says, and because of my imprisonment, because I'm in this current situation that I don't want to be in, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So Paul made the best of this situation. Yes, I'm in prison, not where I wanna be. I don't prefer to be here. This is not my way, but while I'm here, I'm going to interact with people that I would otherwise never get to interact with. And while I'm here, I'm going to share God's message. I'm going to share the good news. I'm going to talk about the sacrifice that Christ made for each and every single one of us. So that in the event that these people, these prisoners get to interact with new prisoners or new people outside the scope of this moment. Now they can share this message, not only just share it, but they can do it boldly with confidence and without fear. All because of a little bit of a mindset shift. It's incredible. What's even more incredible is that we have people in this church right now who are living out these principles of Paul. I don't know if you're aware of this. We have four women. I hope you're watching right now. We have four women at the Theodora house right now. It's one of our microsites, part of the work release program. So you're familiar with this. The path is you've got jail and incarceration, you've got the work release stage, and then you've got full release. These ladies are in the work release stage right now at the Theodora house. And four of these women stepped up and said, I wanna serve, I wanna help. And so since June 16th, they've been full-fledged impact team members. They got the shirts, they've got the lanyards. They are part of our team now. They help set up and create the environment. They help set out the snacks. They help set out connection cards so that people can write down what the next step of their spiritual journey, what they need it to be if they need help. They're a part of that now. They're in work release program, living out the same principles as Paul. There's a gentleman at the Johnson County Work Release Program. Hope you're watching too, man. There's a gentleman at the Johnson County Work Release Program who upon seeing how we do generosity here at Emanuel, he decided he wanted to be generous. So he looked around and he's like, how can I give? How can I be part of this? How can I pay the tithe if that's something I want to do? Work Release Program. It wants to be generous. I want to talk to the five of you right now, if I may. When I heard about this, I'll just say this. You have no idea what the impact that you're making. When Renika, who oversees the the microsite, she oversees our online campus, when Renika told me about what you guys are doing, I cannot tell you the encouragement it was to me. I can't tell you how uplifting it was to see a biblical principle lived out, like in real time right now. Because you guys probably aren't where you wanna be. Maybe you're not where you thought you'd be, and it's all good, it's fine because what you're doing now is going to have such a ripple effect, not only on your own spiritual life, but the lives of every single person around you. It's already affecting our staff and it's already affecting our impact team. And I know that because they're the ones that told me about you guys. You guys are changing the culture inside your work release programs right now and then you guys are going to change it even further right here at this campus because these people are hearing about it. And then they're going to hear about it online and they're going to spread it. And maybe one day someone that's in your spot right now can hear about this and they can make the same decision that you did. To instead of focus on the immediate pain or the immediate regret that you might be feeling, you guys are making the decision to serve and you're making the decision to be generous. You guys are unbelievable. I love you guys so much. I'm so thankful for each and every single one of you guys. So thankful. you for Which brings us to our last point, point four. We have to decide to be thankful. This is a decision, this is a choice. We all have control over the level of gratitude that we exhibit, we can all do this. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says this, probably better than anybody's ever said it. Be thankful in all circumstances, all circumstances, good, bad, work release, full release, Your kid's in the office at school all the time. Your kid is making honor roll every semester. You get the starting job, you get benched, lose the job, get the promotion, whatever it is, you are thankful in all circumstances. Not just because, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. This is his will for your life. And even more importantly, I don't think there's any better way to protect your influence for Christ than by exhibiting gratitude and by being thankful. Here's why it's so countercultural. Because in society today, it's not normal to be thankful. It's not normal to be thankful for all, for all that God has given you, all that He has blessed you with. We are taught to want more, to want new, to want it now, to want what we don't have. This is what we're taught. We see this all the time. So that when you exhibit true, genuine gratitude and you're thankful for things great and small, whether it is the job promotion, whether you're thankful for the tough moment that you had at home with your wife, or whether you're thankful in the situation where my kid got diagnosed with cancer. My kid got diagnosed with cancer and now, I don't know how to deal with it. This isn't what I would prefer, obviously, but I'm gonna use this situation to glorify Christ and be thankful for the sacrifice he made for me. When you can exhibit that type of trust and that type of thankfulness, it arouses curiosity and people will come to you. Maybe not hundreds of people, it might just be one person, but they will come to you and they will ask, how are you able to be so thankful in this spot? And you can tell them without hesitation, with boldness and confidence, just like the others that were in prison with Paul, that you know your purpose. You are not going to let immediate inconveniences distract you and derail you from your eternal mission because you know why you're here. You know what the purpose is for your life. Question that we need to ask as we leave today. What will you do? What will I do to stop complaining? We've covered a lot today, four big points. You can make the decision to be thankful change the way you think, you can do something or you can realize it's not about you. I would encourage you not to try to do all four of those at the same time because I don't want you to fail. Pick one, pick one thing and really commit to it. Go all in on it because I think there's gonna be carryover to other areas. So for me, one thing I wanna do is I wanna be more thankful because I know if I'm more thankful, that's going to change the way that I think about things. If I'm more thankful, I will realize in many situations that this is not about me. This is about a greater purpose. It's about Jesus Christ. And if I can do that, and if we can all do that collectively, and if we can encourage each other along the way, instead of using words to tear each other down, I think it could be a beautiful thing. And what would that look like in our daily lives if we lived this out? What would that look like in your home? Instead of doing what I do sometimes and complain about the wife's shoes everywhere, why don't I try to build her up and encourage her and be thankful that she's such an amazing woman and such an amazing mom? And she does so many incredible things every single day that I should be thankful for. What if we were more thankful for our kids? Instead of pointing out every single thing they don't do, we were thankful for all the amazing things that they do every single day. What if we lived this out at work? Instead of constantly complaining about the boss or the decision that they made, we try to support them. We try to see how we can make the situation better. What would this look like at church if we all decided to be a little bit more thankful, if we decided to be a little bit more involved. And we decided to see how we could support one another and build each other up and stop complaining. I think it would be pretty amazing. And for some of you today, as you're expressing gratitude, I would encourage you to express a little bit of gratitude and maybe think about it this way. Think about the sacrifice that was made for you because you were paid for at a significant cost. Jesus Christ died for each and every single one of us. He died for you, he died for me, he died for my dad, my brothers, everyone. Jesus Christ died for you. He was put to death on a cross. He was tortured, mocked, beaten. And he died so that you and I don't have to spend eternity apart from God. He made that sacrifice for each and every single one of us. And if you place your faith in that, you place your faith in his death on the cross and his resurrection, him rising three days later, conquering the grave, conquering the the penalty of sin and death, then you can have an eternal relationship with God the Father. And so I'm gonna give you an opportunity to express gratitude for that. If you're not currently in a relationship with Christ, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to step into that relationship right now And if you are in a relationship with Christ, you've accepted this wonderful gift. What I would encourage you to do right now is to pray for the brothers and sisters next to you, because this is your opportunity to serve them. Even if you're not on the impact team, you don't serve regularly, you can serve this way. You can pray for your brothers and sisters because this will affect not only their eternity, but the eternity of their family as well. Pray for them, pray for their hearts. So I'll take these words, make them your own. Father, we are so thankful for you. We are so thankful for your sacrifice on that cross. Father, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again three days later. And I wanna be in a relationship with you. I ask for your forgiveness of my sins and I ask for your help because I wanna walk alongside you for the rest of my days, Father. I love you so much and I am eternally grateful for the sacrifice you have made for me. It's in your name we humbly pray, amen. God says that when just one person prays this prayer, when one person makes this commitment, they rejoice in heaven. So we wanna rejoice with you right now. Can we give it up for what God is doing in this church today? look, if you prayed this prayer, if you prayed this prayer online, we are so excited for you. Please go back to the New Believers tables, pick up a New Believer New Testament. We wanna walk walk alongside you. This is a great way for you to get plugged in to scripture so you can learn even more about who Jesus Christ was, learn so much about the beginning steps of your spiritual journey. Leave us a comment online. We will send you a copy of the New Believers New Testament. We're so happy and we're so thankful for you. Can we give it up for what God's doing today? At this time, we're gonna close out with one final song. This song is all about being thankful. This song is all about gratitude. I think for this message and what we're talking about today, it's gonna be the perfect way to cap it off. So if you're able to stand, we would invite you to stand and worship with us. And then our worship pastor will close it out. God bless you and thank you. Can
1: we give it up for Pastor Cody for such an encouraging, powerful message. Thank you, Cody. Well, like you said, we're going to sing a new song right now. It's called Grateful, and it just really speaks to everything that he just told us about, about being thankful for who God is and for what he's done uh, for each and every single one of us in this room. So I want to teach you the chorus, and then I want you to sing it with me, and then we're all going to sing it together. Does that sound good? Can we do that? All right. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. You guys think you can sing that with me? Can you do it? All right, let's sing it. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. All right, let's put those hands together. Come on. Like this. Let's all sing. This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes, I won't come all my hope is in your name and now your joy awaits my praise here's that chorus let's sing I give thanks for all you have done and I will sing of your mercy and your love your love You are my God, your faithfulness, my song. that you would continue to shape us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. God, may we leave and go out into this world in a posture of thankfulness and gratitude for who you are and what you've done for us. God, we love you. We are praising in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next weekend. Bring a friend.